It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Good morning. Yes, I am back in again for Brian Kilmeade today. So glad to be with you. We have so much on the show today. We've got to talk about Dr. Fauci. We've got to talk about ransomware. We're going to talk about Israel, um, the border. There's so much to get to. It's it's amazing. You know, I thought after the election, things were going to just calm down. And because last year, between the election and COVID, I, I just, anyone who like really is involved in news, we just run into the ground. I thought, I can't do this again. So I thought things would calm down. Oh, no, no. Nothing's calming down. It's crazy. Here to help us through some of this, at least as much as we can possibly get to, Senator Bill Haggerty out of Texas. Senator, thank you so much. Excuse me, out of Tennessee. Thank you so much for joining us. How are you? I'm great, Mary. I often remind my friends from Texas though, that there would be no Texas were it not for Tennessee. you got to thank Davy Crockett and Sam Houston for that. That is very true. I still remember the song about Davy Crockett from when I was a little kid. <laughs> that That's just goes great. to show how old I am. Um, no, no, no. <laughs> You just came back with a bipartisan group of lawmakers. Um, uh, you just returned from a trip from Israel to to see what's going on there because of you know what the recent you know battle going back and forth. Now they have a ceasefire between uh, the Palestinians between Hamas and Israel, and we also have thrown into all of this a uh, challenge to Netanyahu. There's a coalition that has been formed to oust him. Um, I was reading about how uh, Israel does their elections and how they form their governments, and it's pretty complicated. Could you, before we delve into this, just explain very quickly for people how they form their governments? Because it's a lot different than ours. Well, it's um, it, it's it, it's a um, it's a system that elects a prime minister through their legislative body, the Knesset, and what they have to do is put together a majority uh, a majority coalition. So it's a coalition government where you've got, uh, in, in the event, and this is what you've read about, um, a center-left group uh, led by Lapid actually partnering with um, one of the most far-right groups there, uh, led by Naftali Bennett. And that pulls together enough votes. They're going to add some, some of the Arab representatives to that. But it's an, it's an odd amalgamation that actually exceeds the number of votes, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu has the largest party by far, but he doesn't have a majority. So putting together this coalition will allow them to outnumber Netanyahu, and then they'll put a vote before the Knesset, a vote of of confidence in what they have proposed, which is this new alliance. And if they're able to get that vote through, uh, again, it's it's a majority of the members of the Knesset uh, will will dictate um, who will be the next prime minister. And so what they're talking about is um, a coalition government that will come and displace Netanyahu. Netanyahu then becomes the leader of the opposition party. Now, why do they why, why do you have these disparate groups coming together to oust Netanyahu? You know, I, I you can't can't speak to the political dynamics there within Israel, except to say that Netanyahu has been prime minister for a long time. 
there's a lot of history between everyone there in the Knesset, and uh, there, there seem to be a coalition of folks that are, you know, combining to take their own power in their own direction um, and, and move in a, a direction different from Netanyahu. The majority of the Knesset, though, are, you know, center-right conservative. So from a philosophical standpoint, I think there's alignment. There may be more personality at play here than anything else. Interesting. I just want to play a little piece for you here. This is um, Mike Pompeo on Fox and Friends talking about uh, this new government that they're forming here and how it could affect U.S. relations. Uh, This government is a confusing one that they are trying to form. It's not completely over yet. It's not certain that they will be successful in doing so. You've got Arab parties. You've got hard right party. You've got the what would be traditionally the Israeli center-left party, this is going to be really difficult for them to make good decisions. And and that's not good. It's not good for the U.S.-Israel relationship. I hope that whatever government gets formed continues to build on this important security relationship. We were such great partners with the Israelis. We've seen what's been happening in Iran and the fact that we were able to isolate them as part of the Abraham Accords. I hope that whatever government ultimately takes place, whatever government forms, that's the Israelis' business. They'll continue to build out on what we did, which really created more peace, more prosperity, and indeed more stability in the Middle East. Is it me or does it seem as if our relationship with Israel has changed under the Biden administration? It feels different. Well, Mary, one of the most important aspects of my trip to Israel these past few days was to be there to show the Israeli people that by far— the American people stand with Israel. I think what we're hearing coming from Washington, and this is creating confusion, is the voice of the far left, the Democrat Party, which is pulling the Democrat Party, I think, uh, in the pendulum is swinging far, far left. So the messaging that's coming out of you know, one part of, of um, our government, um, and unfortunately the administration is led by the Democrat Party right now, but they are getting a, a, a very confusing message. Uh, you know, you've got members of the Democrat Party that are supporting Hamas, uh, over our longstanding ally, Israel, uh, what I wanted to do was demonstrate our unwavering support. And that's certainly the case for every Republican member of the Senate. I also think it's the case for most of Tennessee and most of America that we do support Israel. And it's important for the Israelis to hear that. And, um, I uh, applaud Secretary Pompeo for his analysis of what's happening there right now, but I'll just add this. Um, whoever emerges as the leader of Israel, uh, remember that we've had a longstanding alliance with Israel dating back to 1948. And it's my intention, and I think it's, it's, it's America's intention, to continue that alliance, to keep it strong, because Israel is our strongest partner in the Middle East, and that is the path to security for America and for every one of our allies in the region. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I just want to ask you about the Abraham Accords that were brokered under President Trump. Are, those are still holding, correct? They are, Mary, and uh, that was another important aspect of, of my mission there. I got to applaud President Trump, um, the, the whole team that worked on the Abraham Accords. Some of them work for me right now in the Senate. Um, they transformed our relationship in the Middle East because they focused on prosperity, prosperity as a means to peace. I'm a business person for my entire life, Mary. I understand deeply that economic security leads to our national security because greater economic engagement, greater economic involvement uh, brings people together, brings businesses together, and puts it in our interest to work together. I was encouraged deeply by the fact that when I was there, I met with Israeli businessmen who were traveling to the UAE to continue to work on the projects that had begun. They want to continue to see economic prosperity in the region. They see that as a path to hope. I'll say this, though. Secretary Pompeo touched on it. Iran is their greatest concern. And when they see the Biden administration moving toward an appeasement posture with Iran, trying to get back into the flawed Iran deal, that creates massive concern on the part of Israelis. 
the business people, the, the, the national security force, that is a massive concern because Iran is behind all of the hostility that Israel faces. If you look at what Hamas did, 11 days, 4,000 rockets coming into Israel. That was backed by, supported by, funded by Iran. Israel did a remarkable job of addressing it. The Iron Dome was one of the things I wanted to see. It's, it's remarkable in terms of the precision that they were able to use to counter the onslaught of, of uh, rockets from Hamas. They took down over 90 percent of the rockets that came in. But we need to continue to support that type of uh, alliance with Israel, that they have that capability, uh, knowing that Iran is around the corner and even greater concern. And we certainly need to not send the message that we're going to be supportive of, Iran, of Iran's behavior and their funding of, of terrorism, as they have been doing. Uh, just one more question on Israel, because there's so many things I want to ask you about. Uh, but are they concerned about the rise of anti-Semitism in this country? Did you hear that? And I, I just want to also piggybacking on that. How do we battle the rise of anti-Semitism in this country? I, I grew up in the New York, New Jersey area. So, I mean, we had tons of Jewish friends. I, I know all the Jewish holidays. Like I, That, to me, is an America I don't know. And how do we put that genie back in the bottle? You know, again, Mary, I'll come and say that there is a small but very vocal uh, component of the Democrat Party right now, uh, led by AOC, the squad, and that ilk. They have been able to move the media in their direction. Uh, this is also true with European media. But I do not think this is the view of mainstream America. I convey the message loud and clear that we do stand with Israel. I think this is an exception. It's a pendulum swinging. Uh, but I think that the pendulum will come back, and Israel will see that America remains its strongest partner and will continue to be so. Voices like yours, voices like mine, need to continue to speak out, speak out against this uh, BDS movement, speak out against anti-Semitism and call it what it is. And I think that we will be speaking for the majority of American people when we do that. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I don't Just like I don't think the majority of American people are racist either, but, you know, that seems to be what our children are being taught. And I fear that the anti-Semitism is going to be following on the heels of the racism that is being taught our children. Um, infrastructure. Let's talk about that. Republicans, Democrats, really far apart on this one. Uh, is this worth shutting down the government over? Uh, you know, they, they are willing to define anything as infrastructure that suits their socialist agenda. And I think Republicans need to be very clear-eyed. We think about it the way the American people do. Certainly I do. Infrastructure is hard infrastructure. These are bridges, roads, waterways, railways, airports, even broadband connectivity. I would define that as infrastructure, not free nanny care, not more government dependency. This is something that we've got to be very clear-eyed about as Republicans, and we've got to continue to push back against the Democrat messaging machine that tries to call things uh, something that they're not. If you go back to the $1.9 trillion, quote, COVID relief package, Mary, less than 10 percent of that had anything to do with the pandemic with COVID, this was about fixing state and local governments, uh, you know, broken budgets that have been mismanaged by blue state leaders over the years. This was about fixing the Democrat agenda. And they are, again, trying to manufacture a crisis to use that as a means to push forward their really socialist agenda. We have real infrastructure needs right here in Tennessee. If you look at what's happened uh, with the Interstate 40 bridge that links Memphis to Arkansas, that bridge is cracked. It's broken. I'm sure you've read about it yes. because it, it affects the entire Mid-South region. It shut down the Mississippi River for several days. I mean, there were thousands of, of, of barges that were stopped as a result of this. We have real infrastructure needs. We need to focus on them. In fact, Secretary Buttigieg is here at my urging today to focus on fixing that. But we need to keep our eyes clearly focused on hard infrastructure that, you know, as we build it, 
as we repair it, it will have a return on investment for American taxpayers, not these transfer payments that are really nothing more than uh, socialist programs that they're trying to insert under the guise of infrastructure. Yeah, absolutely. But I guess my question, though, is do Republicans hold strong on this and say no? Because it's even some of the money from the COVID bill, not all of that money has been spent yet, and they want to allocate more. Instead of moving money from the COVID bill that hasn't been spent, let's move it over to infrastructure. They don't want to do that. They want more, 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 more money. And you say Republicans have to stand strong. I would love to see them stand strong. Do they stand strong enough to shut down the government and say no and, and really get out in front of the microphones and own the narrative? I, I, I certainly hope that we'll have that sort of coalition to do that. As you mentioned, there's still a trillion dollars left from the COVID relief packages from last year that can be repurposed. That's the approach that we ought to be taking, not new taxes, not new spending, but reprogramming those dollars that have already been allocated to something that's far more productive. Uh, I think that's the message that we need to stay on. I know that Shelley Capito is meeting with the president again on Friday. I've not been briefed on on those those conversations yet, We're, we will be back in session next week. I'm, I'm eager to see where they get, but I hope the focus remains, again, on hard infrastructure, not on redefining or, or, or trying to rename uh, social programs for, for what they're not. Yeah, and that's something that, as you said, the American people can understand. They understand when you say, you know, what infrastructure is and what it is not. And if if the message is controlled by the Republicans, I think they can get it out there very, very clearly. Um, ransomware, something else I wanted to get to you uh, about. I feel I feel like this is like a quick fire. Um, ransomware. We don't know if that Meatpacker JBS paid the uh, the ransom, the the Bitcoin that they needed. Why can't we find who these people are? Because I know, I think it was on our state taxes. They asked if we own cryptocurrency. They, you know, and you have to sign that, no, you don't own cryptocurrency. Or if you do, you got to tell them what you own. Um, how come we can't find these people? The IRS can find me if I owe them $9. How come we That's can't true. find them? Mary, uh, it, it, it's amazing. But the first place to start with who's behind it all. And if you look at where these ransomware uh, attacks are emanating from, it's Russia. Mm-hmm. And the notion that Joe Biden would say, well, it's a company in Russia, but we're not going to hold the Russian government accountable. Russia is a command and control economy. Vladimir Putin has got his fingerprints on every aspect of what happens there. Biden is going to be meeting with Putin. This ought to be front and center in terms of their conversation. And Biden ought to hold Putin accountable because nothing happens in that country, certain nothing of a criminal nature that happens in Russia without Putin's knowledge of it. So that's where we start. Oh, absolutely. And that's where my fear comes in, because I just I think I think Putin looks at Joe Biden as being very weak. The whole world looks at Joe Biden as being very weak. So I just don't see Joe Biden being able to really do much on that front. And if that expands, you're going to see all sorts of things. Electric could shut down. You're going to see a whole bunch shut down in this country. This is this is warfare. And we have no recourse and we have a very weak leader. And we're just going to, I guess, have to just deal with it as it comes. And people are just going to have to keep paying billions and billions of dollars in crypto coin, which is scary. Well, it's, it's quite concerning, Mary. But you, you touch on something that I'd like to go back to, and that's American strength. And before I was U.S. Senator, I was the United States ambassador to Japan under President Trump. And I can tell you, working with Japan, which is our closest ally in the Asia-Pacific region, again, think about it, China, Russia, and North Korea are right there, just coming back from Israel our closest ally in the Middle East. The world is hungry for a strong America. They need a strong America right now more than ever. And we cannot show weakness. We've got to have strength. That's the way we achieve peace is through strength. President Trump demonstrated that. And we need not be stepping back right now because the world is an ever more dangerous place. And you cite, you know, cyber threats and cyber terror, but there are all kinds of threats happening right now. Iran is waiting right around the corner. 
Yes. You've got Russia, a menace in every turn. North Korea hasn't gone away, and China is the greatest looming threat that we've got. So we need strength right now more than ever. We sure do. And thank you so much. I really appreciate you joining us. I know it was a little rapid fire. Anytime you want to come back for some more rapid fire, we can cover a whole bunch of topics. You are welcome. <laughs> Mary, it was great fun. Thanks, thanks for everything you do. All the best. Thank you so much for everything you do. And uh, thank you for uh, you know briefing us on the trip to Israel because it's, it's something that's so important. All right. We've got more coming up here on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Mary Walter sitting in. We're going to talk a little bit more about Israel and America coming up on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first, only on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Listen to the all-new Brett Bear podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. As far as Gaza goes, it's amazing to me that the progressives think that they're being progressive by taking that side of it, the Bella Hadids of the world, these influencers. I just want to say, in February of this year, a Hamas court ruled that an unmarried woman cannot travel in Gaza without the permission of a male guardian. Really? That's the prog- that's where the progressives are. Bella Hadid and her friends would run screaming to Tel Aviv if they had to live in Gaza for one day. He's absolutely right. That's Bill Maher uh, talking, um, obviously, about Israel and what's what's happening between um, Israel and Hamas. And you know, I I just curious. Here we we were just talking to Senator Bill Haggerty. Let me let's see if I can put this here. out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. The way I want to put it. Um, 
So we, you know, he was just saying that, you know, he doesn't think that the the anti-Semitism that we're seeing around the country is really endemic of the entire country. And I agree with him because I don't think in general that Americans are anti-Semitic. I don't think in general Americans are racist. I don't think in general Americans are homophobic. I think there may be, I think there are people, especially men who are uncomfortable when they see gay men. For whatever reason, they get uncomfortable. But they would never say anything to those men. They would never harm them in any way. They wouldn't like treat them differently in their stores. But deep down inside, they're uncomfortable. I, we all know guys like that. And they're really great guys. But for whatever reason, they just they just feel creeped out. Okay. But I don't think that the majority of people in this country are the people who would would harm somebody or treat someone differently because of the way they walk into their shop. All right. Um Yet you see that, and again, this goes to me, it seems to me to be the younger generation that has been steeped in this, that we're seeing the the racism come from and the anti-Semitism come from. And that's scary. I'm Mary Walter and for Brian Kilmeade. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. We need Washington, D.C. to wake up. This is a crisis on our border. Texans are familiar with this issue. Generations after generations of farmers and ranchers now are dealing with yet another wave of illegal immigration. And it's because of the false promises that we've seen from this president, who still refuses to come down to the border. The governor's asked him to come down several times. This has resulted in one of the worst humanitarian crises. So, but it's because of mixed messages. That was uh, George P. Bush, the last one of the Bush family still in politics. Uh, He's running for the attorney general of the state of Texas. And Texas, of course, right on the front lines of what is happening with immigration. You see these people, their land, their homes being broken into, their land being destroyed, fences that keep their cattle in and their horses in being destroyed, and and then their cattle and horses go everywhere. They're finding children and women and, and, and all sorts of people on their land from dehydration and everything else, garbage everywhere. You environmentalists are all for uh, open borders. Go down and take a look at the environmental disaster happening on the border with all the garbage and clothing and, and everything else that is littering all these people land who live in Texas and not just at the border, but also further inland, you know, further into the border, further into our country where they're, they're taking people's cars. There's all sorts of big walking through neighborhoods, just residential neighborhoods at two o'clock in the morning. You'll see like 20 of them walking through. Uh, we were just speaking with Senator Bill Haggerty from Tennessee, and in his state, they're actually forming a commission because they have migrants being dropped off in the middle of Nashville in the middle of the night and just dropped dropped off by the federal government. They just let them off the bus at 2 a.m. and have at it. And then these these states and these cities are responsible for dealing with them. They're now responsible, the taxpayers are now responsible for educating their children, uh, finding these people medical care. If they need medical care, they go to the hospitals. There's a hospital in California, San Diego, that they say the federal government owes them over $200,000 and they're not getting paid because they keep getting all of these migrants who are sick or injured or given birth or doing whatever. And they're not getting paid because these people don't pay. 
Everything's free for them in America. They also don't need ID because the American uh, government runs a travel agency. When you cross the border, you just tell people where you want to go or all these kids who are crossing the border just have notes attached to them with their name and the, the family member that they're going to, they want to be placed with. And then it's up to taxpayers to get these kids where they need to go to be with their parent or whomever happens to be already in this country. So I, I, I want to ask you about this 866-408-7669. A couple, just a, a couple of things that I want to ask you about here. First of all, have you seen this where you live, especially if you live in a city? Are you seeing this? You know, and, and what do you do with them? I mean, what happens? I mean, are you okay with being on the hook for this? Because I'm not. I'm not okay with this. When my grandparents came to this country, they had, to, they had to prove that they had the means to support themselves. They had to have a sponsor. They, they were told that if they if they wound up without jobs, it was back to Germany. You're going back. And this was in the, like in the 30s and the lead up to World War II. Um, and and uh, interesting story about uh, someone who uh, went to a restaurant, someone who we happen to know listening right now, uh, went, went to a restaurant and their, their uh, waiter was Mexican and he was born in Mexico and he said his cousins were born in the United States and the difference in the work ethic between the two was incredible. These people want to work. There's help wanted signs everywhere and we're paying Americans to sit on their butts. So maybe the left is right when they say they're taking jobs Americans don't want, you know, and if you own a business and you can't get help, Maybe that's a, that's a, a viable alternative. You don't have to pay for health insurance for them. You don't have to pay Social Security. You don't have to pay, you know, Medicare and all these other taxes. You don't have to pay. Pay them cash out the door they go and they show up the next day. 866-408-7669. Oh, and the other thing. Um, where's Kamala Harris? I mean, she's supposed to be in charge of the border. She doesn't want to be in charge of the border, apparently. Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, never been to the border. How can they tell us it's under control? I've got I've got more for you. Eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine is the number. I want to um, play this for you here, and I'm sure you've seen this video. And if you have not, just listen to this right here. That is the sound of a five-year-old little boy who a smuggler just dropped off on the American side of the border, left him under an overpass of a highway, and beat feet back to Mexico. Now, we have since found out, and um, I'm sure someone will correct me if I'm wrong, but I um, saw, I was watching, and uh, I saw that he, they have found the parents, his mother and father are in this country, and so they found him, I guess he had a note in his pocket, and uh, we will now, taxpayers will now transport this little boy to his parents. Can you imagine that you, as a parent in America, left your kid in a car for t- five minutes while you ran into a convenience store to get something? Someone will call the cops on you. You're not allowed to let your kid walk to school in some places if they're under a certain age. You certainly, if you let a five-year-old walk to school in almost everywhere in this country, the police will be paying you a visit. Yet we are encouraging and our government is giving a nod to terrorizing five-year-old children by doing this, by, by, by encouraging their parents to pay criminals to take their child, put their child with a criminal 
and walk them, fly them, put them on a bus, however it is, to get them to this country, to dump them in the middle of, of nowhere in under cover of darkness. And that kid's terrified. That kid's going to need therapy later, and I don't say that laughingly. I mean, dead serious. That kid's going to have abandonment issues. What if a mother in Chicago... And if you want to chime in here, feel free, 866-408-7669, because I can sometimes get going. So I want to hear from you, though. So it's not all about me. What if a mother in Chicago who has a son and her son's getting to that age where the gangs are starting to come sniffing around and daddy's not in the picture. And so he's looking for some kind of male influence and some kind of structure. And because she's working hard, she's, she's a single mom, working hard, trying to protect her kid from the streets. And she decides, you know what? I'm going to send my kid to Beverly Hills. I'm going to get my kid out of the, out of the, uh, you know, the, the housing here, out of the inner city. I'm sending my kid to Beverly Hills. So she takes everything she has, all the money she has saved up. She pays some guy who says he can get it done for her. He can do it. She pays him a couple thousand dollars, gives him her, you know, seven year, eight year old son to put him on a bus walk across the desert with him to Beverly Hills. He drops him inside the city line, city, you know, uh, limits and leaves the kid there. What do you think we would do to that mother? The mother would be incarcerated, but the left tells us, but they're just doing it because these people need a better life. That mother and father, instead of bringing the kid here, why don't we find the mother and father ship them and the kid back home? If they want the family united, why are they not united at home? Why do we reward these people by having taxpayers foot the bill to unite this family when the mother and father both broke the law to come here illegally and then they paid to have their son transported through very dangerous conditions, child endangerment issues, they should be brought up on child endangerment charges. They shouldn't be rewarded with taxpayer money and with us and us transporting their child to wherever they happen to be in the United States. If an American citizen did that, you'd be in jail. But instead, we're using taxpayer money to encourage these people to endanger their children. There's something seriously wrong here. And the left keeps telling us, oh, but they're here for a better life. But we're reuniting the families. These parents left their children. They left them. They could go back to them if they want to reunite the family. They can go back. There's nothing stopping them from going that way across the border. That's a choice those parents made. Why are American parents on the hook for those people's poor choices? 866-408-7669. Let's go to Oregon. David, you're on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hi. Good morning, Mary. How are you? I'm doing just great. So what do you think about all this? You heard the, You heard that video. You saw the video of that kid just screaming. Yeah, you know, what is happening, it's an absolute humanitarian disaster. Uh, As far as I'm concerned, this administration has blood on its hands. The president's first and foremost duty is to see to it that the laws of the land be faithfully executed, and the Biden administration has been completely derelict in its duty at the very least. At worst, I would have to say in facilitating a literal uh, an invasion on our southern border that this administration is guilty of treason. I I I don't know a lot about constitutional law, but with my you know water cooler knowledge, it sounds like it to me. But you know why they're doing it? 
They're doing it because should a Republican get into office next, you can't suss these people out. This will be another DACA, Dreamers, another program where a special group of people gets a carve out. Well, what are we going to do? This is the only life they've ever known. They're in our colleges. They're in our high schools. They have jobs. We can't take them away from the only life they've ever known. So we're going to wind up making them citizens. There'll be a mass amnesty, and every single one of them is going to get a voter registration form. That's right, and we will never be able to get another Republican elected to the office of president ever again. Yep, that's exactly what the plan is. It's exactly, and it's sad, and it's really, really scary what is happening. David, thanks for kicking it off. I I appreciate that. You know, and it's not just children. Coming up, I'm going to tell you something else you're paying for that the Biden administration is doing. It's going to make you super happy. I'm Mary Walter, and for Brian Kilmeade. There's no topic he won't touch. And there's no opinion he won't engage. One of the great joys of my life. Call in with yours at 866-408-7669. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. And so now we have 34 counties on the border who asked me to declare their county a disaster, which I did. Normally, gubernatorial disaster declarations are for things like hurricanes. I don't think this has ever happened before where a disaster declaration was made for border counties because of the influx of people coming across the border. But I did because we're about to change the way that Texas addresses the challenges on the border. And we're going to start by helping these 34 counties respond by increasing arrests. That, obviously, Governor Abbott of Texas. And this is what has to happen. He was on uh, with Sean Hannity announcing, as you heard there, that they had to declare a disaster on the border. Government's giving them no help. Federal government's like, yeah, good luck. And the federal government's doing their part by flying these people all over. Now, I said something else was happening. Now, up until recently, it's only been unaccompanied alien children and adults who have a child with them. Those are, a lot of them, human smugglers. So, you know, but don't pay attention to that. They say it's their kids, so it's totally fine. Um, and, and those were the ones that, that we, were, we were paying for to ship all over the country. Well, now a report detailing the Biden administration's migration policy is, has revealed that DHS is flying single male adult border crossers into the country now as well. Previously, up until just a couple of weeks ago, maybe even like last week, they were being or we were told that they were being shown the door and he was deporting them back across the border because they keep telling us, no, we're deporting people. Really, we're deporting people. Look at all these adult single males. They're all being deported. Uh, According to NBC News, and this is how you know the story is out of control. This is how you know the border is out of control because NBC News is now reporting this. You know, the state-run media is now saying, oh, you know what, there, there may be a problem here. They say in one recent case, 15 single adult male border crossers were apprehended crossing the southern border. They were sent to a DHS facility and then they were bussed or put on domestic commercial flights into various U.S. cities, wherever they want to go. Ta- where do you want to go? Palm Beach. I heard it's beautiful. Don't worry, taxpayers will pay to send you there. And, you know, uh, in um 
as of April 22nd, between February 19th and April 22nd, the Biden administration had flown about 7,200 border crossers into the U.S. on domestic commercial flights. And get this, and I'm sure you know, they're allowed to buy to board a plane with no photo ID. So they're better than you. You have to produce a photo photo ID uh, and they don't have to prove that they're negative for COVID either. So or measles or anything else that they could have when they get on the planes. We have they could be terrorists for all we know because they're not required to show ID. So we have no idea who they are. NBC, this NBC News report says the following, quote, in reality, the border is not closed under Biden. The determination of who stays and who goes has become a lottery with winners and losers. When you start to lose, when this administration starts to lose the mainstream media, you got a problem. They've got a big problem. I don't think the mainstream media will be vocal enough or gutsy enough to actually question them now and actually ask for answers as to why the woman in charge of the border hasn't actually been to the border. But now we're told that she's in charge of getting to the root cause. So she's going to travel around the Northern Triangle countries, you know, take a couple trips down south, south of the border, and she's going to talk to the leaders there to find out why everyone's leaving their country. That's like going to Cuomo and asking him why, why everyone's fleeing New York. He's never going to say it's because of the high taxes. He's never going to tell you the real reason. But this is the approach we're going to take to find out why these people are fleeing those countries. We all know why. And by the way, she's taking her first flight. It only took her three months to figure out which country she was going to go to and which country she, you know, she took her three months of being in charge of the border to, to fly to one of these countries now. Do her little tour. Her tour. They're going to they're gonna come back and tell us they're poor. We should send them money. Pretty sure we've done that before. Listen to this. Colorado is now going to begin allowing illegal aliens to obtain professional licensing licenses. So if you're an American who has uh, a barbershop or hair salon or even a teacher in Colorado, you're not going to have to compete with someone who's in the country illegally, who doesn't have to live by the same rules you do. This week, the governor of Colorado, Governor uh, Jared Polis, signed into law a plan that will give out professional licenses for jobs in education and health care and other industries to people who are in the country illegally. Mark Zuckerberg's group, FWD, which I guess stands for forward.us, had lobbied state lawmakers to pass the legislation. Now, Colorado state agencies will not require an applicant to certify their legal status in the U.S. to secure a professional license. Uh, The bill eliminates the requirement that the Department of Education verify the lawful presence of each applicant before issuing or renewing a license. The bill also specifies that lawful presence is not required of any applicant for any state or local license, certificate, or registration. But you, as an American citizen, you better show your papers. How are these people, if you don't have an ID, how do you open a bank account? Or do they not need an ID to open a bank account? Only American citizens need IDs to open bank accounts, right? Is, is that the way this is going here? That, all, that they'll have free reign. They can do whatever they want. And it's only citizens then who have to show their papers or show their ID in order to get on a plane or to rent a hotel room or do anything else. Is it going to be only, only citizens who have higher standards and who have a whole bunch of bars that they have to jump over 
in order to do certain things in the country. But if you're here illegally, we'll let you work. You can get a light, you know, a professional license, the whole bit. Uh, and I guess they just get a, you know, a, a, what is that, a ITN or T, uh, a number where they pay because they don't have a social security number. Unbelievable. You're listening to The Brian Kilman Show. With Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can enjoy all your favorite Fox News podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, how are you? I'm Mary Walter sitting in for Brian Kilmeade today. So happy to be with you. Let's talk a little bit about those people on January 6th who stormed the Bastille. And uh, those who also just walked in some open doors um, and took some pictures in Statuary Hall. And a lot of them are still in jail. Uh, Some in solitary, they say it's a solitary confinement-like quarters that are just for deplorables. A special area in D.C. still hanging out there. And why that happens to be. Let's discuss it with Andrew Stoltman. Uh, he is a Northwestern adjunct law professor. You can find him at Stoltman, two N's, M-A-N-N, 1971. If you want to follow him on Twitter, I recommend it. Andrew Stoltman, thank you for joining me. Anytime, Mary. Happy to be here today. So, well, I have so many questions for you because why are these people from January 6th who were arrested on January 6th? I think 400 people were charged. Why are they still sitting in um, prison? Well, that's a really good question. Now, some are not sitting in prison, but many are. And I I think what everybody needs to remember is who the Department of Justice is controlled by. You know, you have somebody who heads the Department of Justice and Merrick Garland, and he is obviously a Biden appointee. And I think we need to remember that all prosecutions in some form or fashion are political in nature. So this is this is, in effect, a Payback. It's in effect a battle by proxy against Trump supporters. And I think the feds are literally throwing the book at these protesters to send a message to Trump and his Trump supporters that we are going to hammer you. So, okay, so what, what there, there's one gentleman, I'm going to go into a little bit here. There was a guy, the New York Post was reporting yesterday, that um, char- Christopher Kelly, he's from New York City, and it, charges were dropped against him yesterday uh, by a judge. He was, the, the uh, DOJ asked that uh, charges be dropped on Tuesday, and yesterday they were. He, he, there was a photo of him near the Capitol without a shirt on, uh, holding an American flag. The FBI charged him in January saying that they obtained information from a paid informant that showed he had taken a photo inside the Capitol during the January 6th takeover, right? Now, he also apparently, according to the FBI, boasted to several friends in a Facebook messaging group that he was in the nation's capital that day with, quote, ex-NYPD and some Proud Boys. And that's in the charging documents. Now, there were no photos in the documents. the, the The picture near the Capitol was in it. That comment from the group was there in the charges. But there were no photos of him inside the building. And so the prosecutors said that they discussed the merits of the case and they believe that dismissing the charges serves the interests of justice. They had nothing 
on this guy. So they dropped that, you know, it's been just the case has been dismissed. Are we going to see a lot of that? Absolutely. This isn't the kidnapping of the Lindbergh baby. Probably 95% of these cases should at worst be simple trespassing cases. And those are usually misdemeanors, not felonies. And look, it's one thing to charge somebody, and it's another thing to prove those charges. I predict that we're going to see a tsunami of charges being dropped against these protesters because it's a defense attorney dream come true. When you have the Capitol Police waving people in, or you have wide open doors, right? This is the people's house in effect. People are allowed to go into the Capitol. So I I think we're going to see a lot of these charges being dropped, and that doesn't get the headlines. What does get the headlines is charging these people with very, very serious felonies, and then, oh, by the way, we're probably going to end up dropping many, many of these charges like they did with Mr. Kelly. So so it brings to mind, you know, this there seems to be lawfare and malicious prosecution. Do I see a class action suit here? I don't think you're going to see a class action lawsuit. I don't think it's appropriate for a class action lawsuit. But what I do think that uh, what's going to happen is the Department of Justice, Joe Biden, who's really kind of stirring these charges up, they're going to end up having egg on their face. Prosecutors have a duty not to overcharge defendants. Now, realize that happens all the time, but it doesn't make it right. So I think what's crucial is when these charges are dropped, and there are going to be many charges dropped, or when these cases are lost at a trial. And if I'm the defense attorney, and I'm not for some of these individuals, I say, let's try this case. I think there's going to be a lot of people in the Biden administration, the Department of Justice, and prosecutors who end up having egg on their face. Egg on their face, though, is nothing, especially if it's not reported. These people, though, some of them, there's GoFundMes for some of these people who are still sitting in jail because they've lost their businesses, their families can't feed themselves. Uh, And there's a story that was done by a woman named Julie Kelly, and she contrasts um, a rioter from Portland who was arrested uh, for assaulting police officers, several police officers with bear spray, uh, surrounding the federal immigration, uh, the ICE building, uh, blocking traffic, fighting with law enforcement, uh, had a three-inch in a sheath strapped to his left hip. He was charged with a dozen counts ranging from civil disorder, which is a felony, to unuseful, unuseful, unlawful use of mace. And um, he was released on bail, his trial still pending. Now, she contrasts that with two men who were arrested in March and accused of attacking Officer Sicknick with bear spray. There is, according to the woman who wrote this, um, she says there is nothing in the charging documents that show any kind of pictures. They show them inside the Capitol um, and they show uh, some kind of spray, but it doesn't show that the officer's sick, Nick. It doesn't show that either one of these have not been charged with actually carrying uh, any kind of spray on them. Um, and they're still in jail. They're still sitting there. The judge would not release them. The family offered a $15 million bond package, 16 relatives of one of these guys, three times higher than the bail for Harvey Weinstein, and it was turned down. Mm. Yeah, it's it's amazing, and I don't think most people realize the most powerful person in the criminal justice system is absolutely not the police officer, it is not the FBI, and it's not the judge. 
It's the prosecutor. And when you have prosecutors who are taking their marching orders from the DOJ, which is headed by Merrick Garland, a Biden appointee, you are going to see these sorts of issues pop up. And kind of the great equalizer is these defendants can say once they have their trial date, you know what, we're going to make you prove your case. And I think that's going to be difficult. Now, remember, that doesn't bring back all the, you know, that doesn't make good all the pain and suffering these people have sustained because these people are losing their business. They're locked up. They can't uh, feed their families. In some cases, those charges are warranted, but 95% of these charges should really be trespassing misdemeanor-like charges. So do they have any recourse at all for malicious prosecution here at all or malpractice? I mean, isn't there such a thing as, as some kind of malpractice for lawyers or do lawyers only get to get to go after doctors for malpractice? You know, it is so hard to prove that sort of those sorts of charges against a prosecutor. Prosecutors are given very, very wide leeway and discretion in terms of what they can and can't do. So I don't think those sorts of charges, uh, abuse of you know prosecution and issues like that, are going to carry the day. But in the same sense, you know, there should be a price to pay when you're charging people with extraordinarily serious felonies, and they're really misdemeanor-like charges. Uh, that should be warranted for 95% of those people, it, it, it's a huge issue. Yeah, I don't because I see what I see here is a two-tier justice system. And I, I thought we were all supposed to be treated equally under the law. And these people could very easily point to what's happening in Portland and how these people are being arrested for doing far more, far worse than any of these people did. And they're being let go. And a lot of them are just having the charges dropped for assaulting police officers, for carrying, for carrying weapons, for throwing, you know, bricks and everything else at the cops. And, and these people were in there, as you said, walk through doors that were being held open by Capitol Police officers. I saw the video and they're in there taking pictures in Statuary Hall and they're like grandmas. And they're like, oh, this is great. And they're looking around and they get charged. So, I mean, I guess I'm just frustrated at the lack of ability to enforce the Constitution and the right to equal treatment under the law. Yeah, there are a lot of people that believe there's a judicial double standard between Capitol protesters and BLM riders. And, and, you know, the Department of Justice at the federal level is controlling who gets charged with respect to the Capitol riots. But if you think about who makes the decisions at the state level to charge BLM supporters, most of these riots, most of the really bad activity took places in Democratic-controlled cities, areas like Portland, New York City, Chicago with Kim Fox, right, making a lot of these decisions. You you can kind of see there is a bifurcated level of justice. And and I think that's what we're seeing here. So what's the remedy? The remedy is I don't think these people are going to have much of a remedy against the prosecutors who are filing these charges. It's just so, so tough. But, you know, they say sunlight is the best disinfectant. And I think when you see these frivolous charges in many of these cases being dropped, the only true thing to do is to generate the publicity, keep the magnifying glass on prosecutors in the Department of Justice. And unfortunately, in my opinion, that's about all we can do. Yeah, and that's really sad because it doesn't there I just would think that there would be some way to to prevent a two-tier justice system, which is exactly what we have. So you can sit there and they can have egg on their face. They don't care. That those prosecutors can lose 399 out of 400 cases. They're still going to collect their pay, they're still going to collect their pensions, still going to have their jobs. The people who were used in order to send a message, a political message, which is as you said that's what this is, they get nothing. 
And that to me, I, I don't think that was ever that's not the way our justice system is supposed to run. And I would have thought that there was some remedy somewhere that that could be addressed, that they would have some kind of recourse. Because I think if you lose the vast majority of your cases, I would think you're probably not very good at your job. And that would right there would say, look, this guy's prosecuting everybody and keeps losing. There's got to be something. I don't know. Maybe I'm just a dreamer and I keep hoping for the America I used to know. No, no, Mary, look, you're on the right track with respect to that. I, I think we're all familiar familiar with Jeb Rakoff, right, the wonderful New York uh, federal court judge, and he wrote a fantastic book about four or five months ago talking about this near unfettered discretion that prosecutors have and a lack of oversight of those prosecutors. If you then throw in a political charge, meaning we, we know most of these rioters or protesters were Republicans on January 6th. It adds a, a, a really incendiary overhang on these cases. And there is, there's just very little oversight of these prosecutors, and they basically have carte blanche discretion. So we just have to see how this whole thing plays out. But when charges are repeatedly being dropped or people are being overcharged, that's a significant, important issue. Yeah. And the fact that, you know, nobody wants to donate to any of their GoFundMes or any of their their, you know, fundraising things, because if you donate five dollars in your cop, you lose your job. You donated to a to a a rioter. Yet Kamala Harris, the vice president, can advocate and, and put out there on her Twitter feed the bail fund for Black Lives Matter protesters and rioters. And that's okay. Um, you mentioned Kim Fox. So before I let you go here, what's going on? Like whatever happened to Jesse Smollett? We all forgot about that. Whatever uh, happened to that? Oh, 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 you know, we haven't forgot about it in Chicago. It, it's, it's still hanging over the heads. It's caused a civil war between Kim Fox's office and the Chicago PD. It's an absolute debacle. So he's still in the criminal justice system. Charges have been refiled, but anything Kim Fox heads up, she kind of has the reverse mind touch. And uh, so it, it's to be determined what happens to Mr. Smollett. It's been a huge black eye for her. Despite that, she's got reelected. Uh, so uh, we're in about inning five right now of a nine inning ball game. It is just amazing. I don't understand. Like they, I, I, again, I, I just, I shake my head. I just shake my head. And it's like this, uh, I don't know. I, I just can't. Um, <laughs> you tell me it's still going on. I mean, it's, this whole thing is ridiculous. And yeah. she, of course, gets reelected. But, you know, who charges her with interfering and with doing something she wasn't supposed to do? Um, you, you know, who, who charges her? Does she get charged with anything or does she just keep getting reelected no. and collecting her government paycheck? Now, you know, the Democratic machine in Chicago is still very, very, very powerful, oh, and yeah. she has her constituency. She panders to her constituency, and it works. Here in Cook County, she knows who her supporters are, and the things she does plays well to those supporters. Typically, the people are supposed to be the ultimate judge of how a elected prosecutor like her does, but that's not what happens in Chicago. It, it, it's, it's just a, it's a fascinating city. Crime is rampant. Murders have skyrocketed. Carjackings have skyrocketed. She's not charging people with felonies. She's dropping charges that shouldn't be dropped. It's a absolute debacle. Unbelievable. Well, this makes me sad. Um, (laughs) Andrew Stolman, thank you so much. It's still a great city in the summertime. (laughs) (laughs) In the winter, not so great. Thank you so much for joining us. I I appreciate your time. (laughs) Anytime, Mary. Thank you. 
866-408-7669. More coming up about these, these people being jailed, the disparate treatment between the two groups, and some news about Black Lives Matter coming up as well on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you on a need-to-know basis, because man, do you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. That's why in 2015, I was the founder of Black Lives Matter in St. Paul. I believe the organization stood for exactly what the name implies. Black lives do matter. However, after a year on the inside, I learned they had little concern for rebuilding black families. And they cared even less about improving the quality of education for students in Minneapolis. As you heard, that was Rashad Turner from his, I guess, his walking away video. He left the organization, left Black Lives Matter, as you heard, because he said they have little concern for rebuilding black families and very little concern about the quality of education for students in Minneapolis. And I'm going to play a little bit more from this for you coming up. But I want to ask you, um, there's a lot of things happening with Black Lives Matter. Now, you have Rashad Turner, the founder, as he said, of the St. Paul uh, Minneapolis chapter of Black Lives Matter. He said he's calling him out. You have the mother, the uh, mother of Breonna Taylor, criticized the organization. The same thing with George Floyd's family, criticizing the organization. Um, the mother of Breonna Taylor said the organization not only did nothing to help the rest of Taylor's family, but they raised millions of dollars for itself through the use of her daughter's name. And the family got nothing. So they felt very used. You had uh, Patrice Coulors, a Black Lives Matter founder, and she's a she's a self-described professionally trained Marxist. I didn't know you could go to a Marxist school, but apparently they exist. And she's become very rich. Now, she says that um, her money came from her uh, book and her Hollywood earnings. But again, none of that would have happened if it weren't for BLM. And uh, people said that after Patrice Colores and the story came out, as I'm sure you've heard about her owning three or four mansions in Georgia, uh, Los Angeles, the Bahamas, Topeka Can- Canyon, uh, up- uphill from Malibu. And she was criticized for moving into very upscale white neighborhoods. BLM started to stand for buying large mansions. What's happening to Black Lives Matter? It's, it looks like it's falling apart. Did they over, did they go too far? What what aspect of it? Because it was very big, it seemed unstoppable, and now it seems to me that it is the wheels are coming off. What happened to Black Lives Matter? Where did they go wrong? Or was it everything? Was it just the perfect storm? 866-408-7669 on The Brian Kilmeade Show. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. When you call for a moratorium on charter schools, that is a direct attack on black families, on black children. How can black lives matter if black minds don't matter? 
BLM has been co-opted. They've been co-opted by teachers unions. These teachers unions own the Democrats. They own BLM. And teachers unions, in my opinion, they kill our children's hopes and dreams. Education Minnesota is 94% white, yet they walk around acting like they're so woke that they understand what's best for black children. We know that that money that is supposed to be educating our children, that's not happening here in Minnesota. That was Rashad Turner on Fox and Friends first yesterday, uh, talking about why he walked away from the Black Lives Matter movement. And it, it does look like it's falling apart. When you have the parents of, of some of these uh, victims of police shootings and, and they who were used and, and propped up by BLM to show that, you know, all cops are racist and then, you know, defund the police is the movement it went into. And he worked for them for a year, started a chapter. And after a year, he quit. And you heard him talk there about how they've been co-opted by the teachers unions. Uh, I'm sorry. That was him on the Ingram angle. I apologize for that. Um, And when he was on Fox and Friends first yesterday, he said, how can black lives matter if black minds don't matter? Talking about, you know, the education in, in our inner cities and how these kids always get the short end of the stick. And yet the, the left is totally against any kind of voucher, totally against giving the parents any kind of control over their kids education. And I think one of the reasons that this whole thing is falling apart, it came and came up so fast and was so swift. And I think the reason for that is because our young children are, are the generation. I hate to, I hate to sound like a 90 year old lady sitting on my porch complaining about my gallbladder and keeping the ball if it comes into my yard. But I think there is, there's such a difference, um, in, in, when you look at younger generation of, of how they were raised, most of these kids, you know, never, never had a job as far as like a summer job or things like that. There's just so many different things, but I think the rise of the personal device has really shown its effects. Nobody cares. Nobody cares about anybody else. No, everything in their world, you know, they don't know anything that's going on around them. So when someone swoops in and gives them a cause, because they all feel like they need a cause, when someone gives them a cause, even if it's Black Lives Matter, and you've got mostly white kids out there talking about how all white people are racist or white. Did you see the, like the white 20 somethings yelling at the, at the black police officers telling them that they're racist? You're like, wait, does, am I the only one who sees the irony here? But they just needed a cause. And I think because we have this attitude this that seems to, to be pers- pervasive in everything I think of, well, you know what? I don't care. I just don't care. And it's a very easy thing to have. You know, nobody holds – and it's little things. Nobody holds the door for you anymore. Now, you know, um, look at this. And this, I think, kind of plays in here, but you can disagree with me. And if you want to comment, uh, feel free, 866-408-7669. But um, did you see LeBron James uh, on Tuesday night? They were losing a 115 to 85 blowout to the Suns. They they lost terribly, right? The Lakers lost. So with almost six minutes left in the game, LeBron James just gets up, walks off, and goes to the locker room. He just quit on his team. Now, even if he wasn't in the game and he's like, you know, I'm not playing because I don't want to hurt myself, you know, because it's a blowout. We can't win. And, you know, I'm the star. And so you have to keep me and, you know, put the scrubs in, let them get hurt, whatever. You don't get up and quit. You stay with your team. But it just seemed to me to be just another example of I don't care. It's all about me. 
and I don't know when we were kids. And again, I, apparently I'm ancient, but if you started something, my parents made us finish it. If you started, you know, lessons for gymnastics or horseback riding or whatever my brothers did, you know, basketball camp, my parents were like, no, we paid for this. You have to see it through. But then what do our kids see? They see LeBron James quitting on his team, walking off the court because he's having some kind of temper tantrum, a grown man. That's not leadership. And, and, and he's a role model for kids. So I think all of this plays in together and maybe I'm crazy, but I think we're going to see the rise of these social causes that are just going to go gangbusters and they're going to change everything and they're going to flick it on all of us. And it's going to be insane and crazy because these kids are very easily manipulated because they grew up with devices in their hands. And then it just flames out when it all falls apart spectacularly because it's built on sand. And then the next big thing comes up. And this idea of, you know, caring and being aware of other people in the world just doesn't exist. Like being aware of the fact that you're looting a black owned business while you're supposedly out there for black lives. Now, I understand that there were factions of Black Lives Matter that were peaceful and had nothing to do with the riots. There are other parts that were not so much. And Antifa seemed to join in a lot. Where Black Lives Matter went, Antifa seemed to follow. So there seems to be a correlation. But they're, they're ruining black businesses while well, they're telling me that black lives matter. There's no thought given whatsoever to what they're doing. It's all about what makes me feel good. And it makes me feel good to destroy this to, you know, show the man that, you know, America's a racist country and cops are awful and we need to get rid of them. 866-408-7669. I, I, I don't know. When I saw that with LeBron James, I'm like, Gosh, isn't he a little old to be a quitter, to go have a temper tantrum and go off into the locker room? But I see if you look around, you go to the grocery store, people are on their phone and the checkers talking to them like cash, your, you know, cash or credit, you know, you don't want you know, paper bag, plastic bag. Did you bring your own bags? They're not even answering the question from the checker because the phone call they're on is so important that it's more important than even acknowledging the existence of anyone else around them. 866-408-7669. Um, so you can tell me if I'm wrong here. Stephen from Connecticut, you are on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hi, Stephen. Yes, uh, good morning. Uh, all, all I could say about LeBron is 1969, Willis Reed hobbling on the court makes a two-pointer. First off, the crowd went wild when he walked in because he couldn't even walk. He got shot, uh, I think, quarter zone, walked on the court, played two minutes, and the Knicks went and won the series. Team, not I. The man could, could have ruined his career, but he was willing to do that for his team. LeBron has no idea what that means. You know, that that's another good, that, where's that lesson? That there's no I in team. Remember Carrie Struggs with her vault in the Olympics? Remember her? Now, I will tell you that I also think you also have to balance out, well, yeah, I know this is for the team, and, you know, whether it's Carrie Strug or another athlete who goes out there and does something while injured, that could have lifelong effects. And then it's when I look at that and I go, well, it's kind of just a game at that point, you know, too. But LeBron James didn't have to put himself at at, at – at, 
harm's way of maybe injuring himself, you know, playing in a game that they're going to lose. He could have sat there and cheered on his teammates who were out on the court, at least trying to help this, help the team a little bit, you know, make it not such a blowout. And he didn't. He had a temper tantrum and walked away. I don't know. Thank you so much, Stephen. Let's head to Orlando and Anthony on WDBO. Hi, Anthony. You're on the Brian Kilmeade hey, show. Hey, Mary. Hey, good morning. Thank you for your input there. Um, I think you hit the nail on the head. I really think that uh, electronic devices are, you know, part of the problem, but the real problem, I think, stems with the parents who use those, you know, as sort of a babysitting uh, mechanism for their kids, and they don't yes. monitor everything they do. You know I mean? I, we give our kids a couple hours screen time a day, and that's it, and they have to get their things done before they get it. And then once it's over, it's over, and we watch and we ask, what are you doing? Who are you talking to? You know, what, what's going on on there? And uh, I think that's really a, a big issue is parents just, you know, not being engaged. I see parents, and I hate this, and I'm sorry if you're a parent who does this, but I do secretly judge you when I see you do it. Um, when they have like a, a two- or three-year-old in a stroller, and the kid's crying and fussing and everything else, so they hand the kid their phone or an iPad or something like that for them to play with. Why don't you hand them a book? Why don't you hand them a toy? Why does it have to be the screen? It starts too early. You are correct. And even at dinner, you know, you go out to restaurants and you, nobody talks. They're just, you know, they're not allowed to have any of that in our house. At, at dinner time, it's just, you know, it's family time. You know, that's all gone now. And uh, I think people need to get that back in their lives. But that's all I had to say. Yeah, Thank no, you. I, I agree. And we both sound like our combined age would be about 250 years. <laughs> I just feel like I sound so old, Anthony. Thank you so much. Let's get one more in here quickly. Uh, John in Albany. John, you're on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hi. Hi, Mary. How are you? I'm doing great. So what do you think? Am I, am I wrong here? Mary, I spent 50 years working in public schools. I was a teacher, athletic director, coach of three sports, principal and superintendent of schools. And you are hitting it right on the head. I've been around kids all my life. People have asked me over the years, have kids changed? I said, absolutely not. We have empirical evidence that they haven't changed. Stop in a hospital on your way home any day and go to the maternity ward. They look the same as they did 50 years ago. It's what's around them that has changed. And you hit it on the head. You know, a, a crybaby like LeBron James, would you get medical advice from him? <laughs> no, I would, would not. You, and nor do I want- take political advice from him either. Bingo. You wouldn't want him flying your plane and you wouldn't want him to be your lawyer either. He's showing what he is. Okay. He can put a ball in a hoop sometimes walking out on your team. I mean, you know, it's a way different level, but it's almost like walking out on your comrades in battle. You don't do that. The team comes first. And Charles Barkley said a long time ago, I'm not a role model. Parents should be role models. And you're 100% right. If it doesn't start at home, it's not going to happen. I didn't get them in school till they were five. A lot of tracks were set down long before five years old. And, you, you know, it, it's got to be at home. It's got to be at home. Yeah. Parents have, have to advocate. They have to be the trendsetters. They have to be the ones that the kids look up to. And we lost that. We lost civility yes. in this country. You mentioned yeah, we sure- the door. Yeah, John, thank you so much. And and bless you for being a teacher because I could never be a teacher. I could never, ever, ever be a teacher because I'm sorry, but a lot of kids are just, I, I have so many friends who are teachers and they, as soon as they could retire, they did. They said they couldn't deal with the parents. 
because the parents created, as John just said there, these kids, now not all of them, but enough where it made the job miserable, where they, there was no respect, they, they knew you couldn't do anything to them, and there was no kind of follow through at home. So, and this wasn't necessarily in inner cities. We're, we're talking about suburbia, some very nice areas. So it, it's not a um, geographic issue. 866-408-7669. We're just talking about the rise and fall of Black Lives Matter and how these kids are being used. Our young, our, our teens, 20-somethings are being used by these organizations because they can so easily be whipped into a frenzy. They'll do whatever you want them to do because it feels like it's the right thing to do with zero thought given to anybody else. And when I saw LeBron James walk off the court, I'm like, see, that's the attitude. The I don't care. Nobody cares. Nobody cares about anything anymore. There's no thought given to anybody else. And um, I think there's even more to this as well. Story out of Florida I'm going to share with you uh, coming up about a 14-year-old and a 12-year-old that absolutely, I think, shocked so many. That's next on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Challenging conventional thought and wisdom. You're with Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Mary Walter sitting in for Brian Kilmeade today, 866-408-7669. I just quickly want to tell you a story um, out of Florida. Uh, this happened on Tuesday. You had two kids, a 14-year-old girl and a 12-year-old boy, and they fled a county juvenile facility, and they broke into an empty home, and they found three firearms and 200 rounds of ammunition. Um, now, when I was 14 years old, I did know how to shoot, but I also knew that you don't play with guns. That was that was a big deal. But I, So I don't know how these kids knew how, but they somehow managed to be able to load the firearms and use them. Uh, the 12-year-old was an insulin-dependent diabetic. Uh, he ran away around 5 o'clock from the detention center with the 14-year-old. Um, who had been detained because uh, she was accused of stealing some puppies and then setting fire to a detention facility in another county. So she's got some problems. But bottom line, they wound up shooting at the cops, and the 14-year-old girl came out with the gun and it fired, it shot at the cops, and they had a shooter. And you, you saw the body cam video, one of the cops sitting there. You can hear him on one of the body cams saying, don't make me do this. I don't want to have to do this. Please don't make me do this. And she's firing, fired at the cops. And, and so, you know, they had to shoot her. Um, but she's alive. But this is a 12-year-old and a 14-year-old. Now, I under, I know this is not that old when it comes to crime. I get it. And, and I don't blame these kids. These kids are in the system. I blame the parents of these kids. Whatever the circumstances were, however these kids wound up in the system... It is not an easy life growing up in the child care services system in our country. It really isn't. So I don't blame them, but it, it's still shocking to me. Now, I know Billy the Kid was 15 when he committed his first crime and died at the age of 21 after, you know, had two murders and everything else. So it's, it's not unheard of, but um, I don't know. It, it just, it's this whole idea of shooting at the cops. Well, if you, if you want help, you know, that's what you're always told you go to the cops, but not anymore because we've demonized the cops. 
So where's the disconnect? I've just noticed this. Yeah, nobody cares about anything anymore. That's why you can see the destruction in our inner cities, destruction of black owned businesses when these people are supposedly rioting in the name of black lies. Nobody cares. 866-408-7669. And of course, Sir James being the latest to show that nobody cares because he quit on his teammates. In Dallas, Leon listening online, you're on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hi. Uh, good morning. Uh, yeah, I want to take issue, uh, first of all, with uh, your mischaracterization of what LeBron James did. Okay. What did he do? Uh, some, some fans... Uh, have no are not privy to the inner workings of what goes on on an NBA bench. I used to have a uh, sports talk show host when I lived in Atlanta, and they have things going on behind the scenes that they do not want the fans to know. And the fans cannot dictate what the athlete does because of those circumstances. Uh, and so uh, you are and the rest of these people who are calling and criticizing LeBron James do not know what really went on. Uh, LeBron James has impeccable credentials for being a winner. He has multiple uh, world championships. He has uh, God knows how many appearances in the finals. So a fan who is not privy to what goes on behind the scenes on that bench or in that locker room or in that training room cannot criticize them. So tell me what happened then. How do you know that he didn't just walk away? So what do you know that we don't know that makes you so sure that he didn't just get up and walk away? You don't know that he did just walk away. But you You don't don't know know that he he didn't. Right, but But you don't don't know know that that he didn't. But you don't. Well, well, I can't assume. I'm not making an assumption. I just see him leave the court. I don't know what was the cause, and I'm not going to mischaracterize it like you're doing because you don't know either. This is true. I do not know. However, I also know that LeBron James is a pretty vocal guy. And if people were accusing him of quitting on his team, I think LeBron James would probably be out there on his Twitter, you know, clearing that up post haste. And he hasn't said anything. That's not a requirement. It's not a requirement, but but you want to tell me that that ego doesn't want to clear up any kind of bad press. Of course he does. So, you know, maybe he just walked out because he had business behind the scenes. Maybe he was frustrated and walked out. And he hasn't said anything on Twitter, so we can each have our opinion. And that's that. I'm Mary Walter in for Brian Kilmeade on The Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox & Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Yes, Mary Walter, that's me sitting in for Brian Kilmeade today. Let's go to a guess. See if you can guess who this is. Former chairman, the House Oversight Committee, author of They Never Let a Crisis Go to Waste, The Truth About Disaster Liberalism. Find him on Twitter at Jason in the House, now Fox News contributor, Jason Chaffetz. Thank you for joining us. Welcome to the show. Oh, with that tease, they're going to be so disappointed that it wasn't Trey Gowdy. But thank you so much for having me. (laughs) Former chairman of the Oversight Committee. Oh, Jason Chaffetz. Yes. (laughs) 
Stop. Stop. No, we're excited that you're here. Come on. Let's oh, be excited. No, I, I love it. I, I love Kill Mead's show, and I'm glad to chat with you, Mary. It's good. Yeah. And I'm I'm very happy about it, too, because I have so many questions to ask you. So um, this is this is going to be one of those things where I'm like, and what about this? And what about this? And what about this? So um, let, let's talk about immigration, shall we? Yeah. Um, you know, these, we're hearing from, you have down in Texas, you have the governor there declaring, uh, a state of emergency in the 34, in the counties along the border. These people, their homes, American citizens' homes are being broken into. They're being robbed from. It's an environmental disaster along the border. And, um, you know, people are being, uh, assaulted. All sorts of crime is happening. It's, it's, they're being overrun. It's an invasion on our Southern border. Yet it, we don't see Kamala Harris or Joe Biden on the border. Do they not want to draw attention to it? What do you think the purpose is of them just totally ignoring it? Well, I agree with you. It is a human trafficking problem. It is a health problem. It is a national security issue. It's a human rights uh, disaster. Um, I think this is exactly according to the plan that Biden and Harris has always put up. I think they, you know, even though we legally and lawfully bring in more than a million people every year, uh, it's not enough for them. I think they want to flood the United States. And and so when you look at the crime figures and there'll, there'll be a long time coming, you know, one question that never really gets asked and certainly not answered from this administration is when you participate in catch and release, whether you come here illegally or you come here seeking asylum and your case has not yet been adjudicated and you participate in that catch and release and you, you take somebody who's here, who's undocumented, who may be here illegally and you just release them into the homeland. Well, then what are they supposed to do? I mean, what are they supposed to do for income, you know, a job? What are they supposed to do for food, shelter? Um, what are they supposed to do for medical care, schools? And so if you don't have the paperwork and you want to work and you have employers that are doing and living up to the law, then what do you expect to happen? And so when you do this by the hundreds of thousands, if not eventually millions, um, there's a huge economic and crime consequence to these this participation but have no fear Kamala Harris she's on top of it you know she doesn't have enough on her plate so you know let's give her voting rights as well but I I, it's sad it's disgusting um, because I think the Trump policies were actually working Oh, they were absolutely working. You, I mean, you saw as soon as they saw that Joe Biden won, they started packing up their stuff and they're like, come on, kids, we're going to Disney. Um, yeah. it, and you mentioned all those things. You know, what about medical care? Well, medical care, there's a hospital in San Diego, outside of San Diego, that says the federal government owes them over $200,000 for medical care. And that's just the tip of the iceberg of what it's going to cost the hospitals around this country to take care of all of these people who just wander in. If you're a citizen, you have to show ID. You have to show who you are. You have to have a picture ID along with with your insurance card, they just wander in and they get the exact same care and they never get a bill. And you know what? The doctors don't get paid. The hospital will get some reimbursement from the federal government and, uh, the, you know, the nurses and the techs will get paid, but the doctors don't. And I wonder, the cynical part of me says, is that part of the plan though? Because if you crash the economy by pumping billions and trillions, trillions actually, of dollars into the economy to unsustainable levels, and you just tax it and tax it, no matter how many jobs are filled, no matter how much people are spending, you create inflation, you overrun us with people here illegally who, who aren't paying into the system, you crash the whole system. Isn't that the point? 
Well, and I'm worried about what is the end game. I mean, why are they doing this? Um, I think we have a higher moral obligation to the people who are trying to do it legally and lawfully, and I think we're failing them. We we, we ignore them. Um, and I, I I just look if you want to go out and change the law, then let's have that debate. Let's let's go through the process, but. To have an administration so blatantly just ignore the law and say we're not going to enforce the law, we're not going to uh, do what the law requires and allow this to happen, not just onesie-twosie, um, but in mass, and then invite all these kids that are, you know, minors into the system. I, I, I think there will be horror stories about kids that were trafficked um, that were raped and that were ultimately brought into this country and not matched up with a family member. Right. You know, from the word I heard that they're supposed to be doing DNA tests to make sure that they're getting to the proper f family member. But there's a lot of question marks as to whether or not they're actually doing that. And the, again, I think you're going to hear stories of human trafficking and other types of disgusting things that are totally avoidable. But by the time all of that happens, and this is just the cynic in me, and you can disagree with me, but by the time all that happens, it doesn't matter. Because by then, you'll never see another Republican president, because by then, these kids will all be dreamers, and we'll have another DACA program. And in order to reunite the families, we're going to give everybody citizenship. You're going to have you're going to have mass forgiveness. They're all, we're 22 million people are going to be made citizens. They're all going to be given a voter registration card when they take their oath. They don't even have to take an oath. When they get it in the mail, just be given a voter registration registration card with Democrat already ticked off on it. They're all going to vote Democrat. And so then it doesn't matter because all of those stories are going to be squashed. You'll never hear about the people who were raped or trafficked or anything else. Those stories will never be told because it doesn't serve the party. And I, I and this was happening under Barack Obama, was it not, when he was just ignoring orders to stop doing certain things or, uh, you know, not enforcing certain laws. He just ignored it and he got away with it. Well, that's the disgusting part of this whole process, because I do think there is a it, it's interesting because the percentage of the vote that Donald Trump got in the Hispanic market actually grew. And I think that scared uh, Democrats. I don't yes. think that the message of the, the Democrats are saying, um, you know, the lack of law and order and getting rid of the rule of law. Those are not good things in, in terms of. Um, you know, they're making too many assumptions about people um, from the Hispanic communities uh, thinking that lawlessness is a good thing and that uh, the Democratic platform is something that they, they look fondly at. Uh, I, I find that a lot of Hispanic people are actually very conservative when you actually drill down on yes. it. So I think there's a mistake. But with that said, you do see... Um, uh, some cracks uh, in the system here. For instance, in California, there are now cities that are allowing non-citizens to vote on school board elections. Mm -hmm. And I think there has to be a wave of either state constitutional amendments or whatnot. But to say that you must be a citizen of the United States in order to vote. Now, that seems like common sense to me, but my goodness, you've got communities that are now taking that to the extreme, saying, well, they're here, and even though they're not citizens, they should have a vote in their representation. And I think that is ultimately what the Nancy Pelosi's of the world yep. uh, want to do. And, that, oh, absolutely. And, and that's a bit scary. And you also have a, some of these states, uh, Colorado's doing it, New Jersey did it last year, where they're allowing these people 
to, uh, to not have to present any kind of ID or proof that they're in the country legally in order to get some kind of state license. So they're now going to be competing for white collar jobs in our, our states with American citizens, and they're not even in the country legally. But if you're a citizen, you have to jump through the hoops. Uh, yeah. But if you're not, yeah. you know, hey, here you go. You want you want to be a hairdresser? Here's your license. Here you but, go. And it's amazing that the Democrats will go to such great lengths to make sure that they treat non-citizens better than citizens. They treat um, people that are here illegally better than we do our veterans. And that's what I think ultimately is going to kind of be a, a boomerang back on Democrats when it comes election time. Because I don't I think they are miscalculating how smart, savvy and um, understanding the American people are about that. Yeah, I, t- I totally agree with you. Um, I- I'm going to gonna break a little early here because I want to have a lot of time to talk to you about Dr. Fauci. We have to talk about yes. the sainted Dr. Fauci, as I refer to him, because he is a god in the religion that, that worships big government. And um, some of the blowback now that is happening with him. So we're going to come back with more with Jason Chaffetz on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. If you look at scientific information as it accumulates, what is going on in January and February, what you know as a fact, as data, guides what you tell people and your policies. If March, April, May occur, you accumulate a lot more information and you modify and adjust your opinion and your recommendation based on the current science and current data. So, of course, if we knew back then that a substantial amount of transmission was asymptomatic people, if we knew then that the data show that masks outside of a hospital setting are actually do work when we didn't know it then, if we realized all of those things back then, of course, Mm -hmm. you're asking a question, would you have done something different if you know what you know now? Of course people would have done that. That's so obvious. That there, the sainted Dr. Fauci today on CNN because he was defending uh, some of those emails in uh, that have been made public where uh, he talked about, was caught talking about mask wearing and that masks, you know, uh, doesn't really protect you all that much. You know, those, those ones that you get at the store, most of those ones that we had, you know, especially in the beginning had those blue ones uh, that were, were just from, from hospitals, uh, little masks, not the N95 ones. Uh, Yeah. They didn't really uh, do much for you. And now he was, he was defending that. Uh, we're here with Jason Chaffetz discussing all of this. So, um, you know, what's interesting. And Eric pointed this out here. Those uh, emails released in the FOIA, none, nothing was redacted. Are they throwing him under the bus? Um, they're required by law unless there is something that is classified. And it'd be really hard to make the case that it, there was a national security classification issue. The ones that I would worry about are the ones that they didn't release. And so I, by them releasing what is required by law, I don't think is them throwing them under the bus. Nevertheless, they should fire Dr. Fauci. They should have fired him a long time ago. This guy is supposed to be a 
you know, a first-rate scientist. I think he's lost the trust of the American people. I also think if you have time to go out and write a book and you have time to, for all these – I mean, is there a media outlet or something he hasn't appeared on? Um, I, I just don't understand when he has time to do his job, and I think he's lost the trust of millions upon millions of Americans, and it's time for him to exit the stage and either be fired or dismissed or whatever it is and, and get somebody in there that the American people can trust. Well, I think he's, what, 80 years old? so And he is the highest paid federal employee, which I did not know. Mm-hmm. He gets makes more than the president. So if he gets fired, I don't think he cares because he still gets to collect his pension. So I think he's going to be just fine. So it's just going to be a slap on the wrist for him. But his book has been taken down from both Amazon and Barnes and Noble's web pages. You cannot find his book there. So I, I wonder if this is that that part of that money he's not going to get that that book is maybe not going to be sold. I don't know. It's due out in November. But you know, you talked about but Jason. How you he, talked how about did the, he even have time to do this. Like I, I've written uh, three books. Uh, it takes good nine plus months and a lot of time and effort. What, what is he sitting around? It's like what Phil, uh, Governor Cuomo. You're in the, you're yeah. the governor. You got a pandemic going on. What, when do you have time to sit back and do this? It's not like a former president who, after he leaves office, goes out and you know spends a year writing a book. That's, that's totally different. But this, these people are doing it. Evidently, while the pandemic was going, instead of actually working on the actual pandemic. Well, I think I, I think we can see how maybe the fame went to his head. He really enjoys the being on TV. He enjoys the attention. And so I'm sure he had someone helping him write the book. And maybe he just sat down with them like a ghostwriter, sat down with them and said, hey, and then you know, told them the stories or shared his notes or whatever they happen to be. And that's how uh, the book is coming out in November. But you had said something about the FOIA request and you said, well, you know, they released what they were supposed to release and they don't redact things. They're not supposed to, you know, if they're not supposed to redact, if they're not, um, I think you said privileged or confidential, whatever that they can release classified. classified. That's the word. But if I remember correctly, during the Trump administration, there were lots of things released that weren't supposed to be released that were classified. And there were other things we found out later from some of these FOIA requests where they didn't release everything to Congress even. They would just yeah. happen to just not do that. So that says to me that um, they can do that if they want to. So I think he's getting thrown under the bus, but that's just me. Um, yeah, look, I, I'm not saying that he's not. Um, it's just hard leap for me to say that – Anyway, to go through that process, I can tell you, though, as the former chairman of the Oversight Committee, and at the time, I had unilateral subpoena authority. I didn't need to get a committee vote or anything else. I could issue, do, issue a subpoena unilaterally. Um, how many times the administration just did not fulfill that? In fact, I would venture to say the majority of times I issued a subpoena, the Obama administration just failed to comply. The problem that I had was that in order to get it fulfilled or to have the compulsion part of it, it needed to be the Obama administration to administer that. And the the House of Representatives never did figure out how to stand up for itself. It was a sad chapter and it's still a sad chapter and it's wrong. And they weren't, they didn't have the political guts to do what needed to be done to actually get a duly issued subpoena fully executed and um yeah i'm a little sensitive about that rooting for the republicans (laughs) is like rooting for the mets it's it's just a sad thing because they they managed to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory at every turn um 
one other question that I, we thought was interesting I want to ask you, because both Allison and I know people who have been invited to events where you, you were only supposed to come if you were vaccinated. And one of my friends was uninvited because they knew, you know, it's more of a liberal group and they knew where she and her husband were um, politically. So they didn't think she would be vaccinated and didn't trust it. So they didn't want to make people feel uncomfortable. She got uninvited. So would you go to an event where they told you you have to provide proof of vaccination, a party of some kind? No, it's time to get new friends at that point. Um, look, I, I, I just, no, that, that's an invasion of privacy, and we don't do that. What, are you going to uninvite somebody if they have cancer, uh, if they had AIDS, if they had, you know, it, but to not get a vaccination? Are you kidding me? That's... That's a personal, you know, it's the, it's this principle that there is a divide in this country. Conservatives believe in self-determination and and self-reliance and and being able to take that information and have the liberty and freedom in order to make the best informed decision that you want. Um, maybe the person is, um, maybe somebody's pregnant and doesn't want to take a chance of having a vaccination that maybe hasn't had the types of studies that they feel comfortable with right. or that their doctor feels comfortable with because maybe they're pregnant and they don't want don't know what to do with that. So there's lots of legitimate reasons, but time to get new friends. Well, thank you so much for joining me, Jason Chaffetz. Follow him as I do on Twitter. Jason in the house. The book is They Never Let a Crisis Go to Waste. Thank you so much. Have a fantastic weekend. More coming up on The Brian Kilmeade Show. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Do you still see some hardness among his supporters around the vaccine or around some of these messages you're sharing with us today? Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt that there are people out there who, for one reason or other, resent me for what I did in the last administration, which was not anything that was anti-Trump at all. It was just trying to get the right information, to try and get the right data and what they didn't seem to understand, I guess that's understandable <laughs> that they didn't understand it, is that science is a dynamic process. Mm, 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 mm. First of all, I'm Mary Walter sitting in for Brian Kilmeade. That there was the sainted Dr. Fauci with Nicole Wallace on MSNBC yesterday. You know what? The problem is, it's not that I was misleading you or any of this was political. It was that you don't understand science. Trump supporters don't understand science. So, you know, here's the thing. I understand that, you know, this was a, something we had never seen before. This was totally unknown. My husband's an ICU doctor uh, on the East Coast in the New York, New Jersey area. So, so they were getting hammered with this. And, you know, one day you use hydroxychloroquine. The next day you don't use hydroxychloroquine. You put them on a ventilator. You don't put them on a ventilator. So it was changing all the time, of course, as, the, as we understood what this virus was more and more. I get that. 
I'm totally fine with that. But the problem is, Dr. Fauci, if I may, the problem was, is that you had different information coming out from states. You know, if you're in a, in a Democrat run state, you, some of them are still wearing masks. Florida has been and Texas have been open for months, for months. You had people question. You couldn't even question the use of masks. If you did, you you were hammered. You had people screaming and getting into fights with each other because someone had their mask below their nose in a store. People were so freaked out and so scared by the propaganda that was coming out from the NIH, from the CDC. And there was so much, much mixed messaging that people didn't know what to believe. And they were scared. And I, and I rightfully so some of them. And then after a while, you know, we kind of took the train to crazy town and things went off the rails horribly. And, and there are still people to this day that will never, ever, ever, ever ditch their masks. They just won't. They've been so damaged. They're never going to get rid of the mask. And I, and I, and I want to know if you know people like this, as we were just talking with Jason Chaffetz, you know, I know someone who was uninvited from just like a girl's little like luncheon type thing, or maybe it was like a dinner or whatever, but, but she was uninvited because they suspect that she had not been vaccinated and she refused to share her vaccine status with them. So she was uninvited because there were some people who were uncomfortable, even though they were vaccinated, they were uncomfortable. And, um, Allison knows someone who um, got an invitation to a party or some event, and it said on the card that you had, to, you had to bring proof of vaccine. You had to be vaccinated. It's like, wait, what? Really? You had to bring, would you go to an event like that? Because I'll tell you right now, hell to the no, I will not. No, I don't care. And I think people who know me kind of know that. So they're not inviting me anyway. Uh, <laughs> they would have a party, just not invite me. And I'm totally fine with that. That's one less day I have to get dressed up because COVID and working from home has lowered my standards of hygiene quite shockingly. And um, one less day that I would actually have to, you know, look like I did not crawl out of a dumpster. I'd have to put a bra on. And right now, ladies, right? Like getting back into that after, you know, 13 months out of it, you're like, oh God, <laughs> we, you know what I'm talking about? 866-408-7669. Um, would you accept that kind of an invitation? Are you okay with it? You know, going into someone's store, we went, uh, we were out, uh, Saturday picking up a pizza and right next to the pizzeria is a little like bar and now they're open again. And there was a sign on the door that you had to wear a mask if you wanted to go inside. And so my husband's like, you know what? No, I'm, I'm not going to go. And that's his choice not to go inside there. That's his choice to not do that. Just as it's your choice, I think, to go in with a mask on if that's what you want to do. If you want to wander around for the rest of your days, uh, you know, in, in a mask, okay, you do you. That's fine with me. I don't care. You're not hurting me. Just like me wandering around without a mask isn't going to hurt you. And if you're that afraid, get vaccinated or don't go to places where people aren't wearing masks. Freedom's a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing. Um, Let's go on. Uh, Nicole Wallace this is more of Nicole Wallace on MSNBC with Dr. Fauci talking about those emails. And it was never deliberately something against the president. In fact, you spoke about my emails. You look at my emails. I never in the email said anything derogatory about President Trump. 
Well, the true mark of someone is if they look good, even when their personal emails come out. So you, you pass the test that very few of us would, would pass. <laughs> Dr. Fauci, you're so amazing. I can't believe it. Can I kiss your ring when we're off camera? Some of these emails don't make him look so good. How about this one? Wednesday, February 5th. Now, this is February, and this is kind of what he was talking about before when he was talking about um, science. People don't understand science. He said masks are really for infected people to prevent them from spreading infection to people who are not infected rather than protecting uninfected people from acquiring infection. The typical mask you buy in the drugstore is not really effective in keeping out the virus, which is small enough to pass through the material. It might, however, it might provides some slight benefit in keeping out gross droplets if someone coughs or sneezes on you. I do not recommend that you wear a mask, particularly since you are going to a very low-risk location. Your instincts are correct. Money is best spent on medical countermeasures such as diagnostics and vaccines. Safe travels, best regards, Tony. So, and Grant, I will give him, this was February of last year, early on, but we didn't have to wear masks. Then we had to wear a mask. Then they were suggesting wearing two masks. And it was supposed to be a mask and or six feet. Then it was a mask and six feet. And then, you know, people keep the mask securely around your nose. And it was one of those dime store masks or people who had bandanas on. Nothing. Nothing. But we still had to all wander around and pretend like it did something. And this is why I think people are a tad bit psycho over the whole dropping of the masks. I know someone, this is a hand to God, true story. Someone I used to work with who posted on his Facebook page that he's fully vaccinated. Cause he has to, you know, show everyone in virtue signal that he's better than you. Cause he got his vaccine, but he also posted that now that he's vaccinated and it's been two weeks, he has a hard time getting rid of his mask. Cause he doesn't want anyone to think he's a Republican. I was like, Okay, well then, you know, I think you should cling. I should probably wear two masks, you know, just to be safe. Plastic bag around the head, you know, that kind of thing. Just to be safe. Make sure nothing gets in there. 866-408-7669. Do you know people like this? Because I, I do. I, I was pleased to see in my town walking around that I only saw two people with masks on in cars. That's an, by themselves. That's another one. Uh, but nobody outside was wearing masks. And would you accept an invitation, as two different people that we know of have gotten, that required a proof of vaccination before you could attend the event? you got to provide that to a friend. Let's go to Robin listening on WNIS in Virginia. Hello, Robin. You're on the Brian Kilmeade Show. How are you? Great. I'm talking to you, and it's a great day. Hey, I find that the most frustrating thing about this Dr. Fauci situation is that he never once ever recommended the most effective means for seniors and people at risk from this virus of protecting themselves. He never once talked about bio hazmat suits. He never talked about getting federal vouchers so that people could go out and buy them. I mean, now we have this bombshell revelation about him being in some way financing this uh, lab in Wuhan. Makes me wonder if this thing isn't that episode out of the original Star Trek series about the two nations at war who no longer actually do war. They just have people report to the disintegration stations. It's just a whole thing so bizarre to me. Yeah, it is. And and the idea of, uh, you know, sending biohazmat suits to senior citizens, um, it, there's that 
sounds great in theory. I just don't think it's practical. When you wear one of those suits, you know, there is a whole course you have to take. Because again, my husband's an ICU doctor. So when it came to dealing with COVID patients and they have to go into a COVID room, they'd actually have to help each other dress because you had to seal like things. And then when you take it off, there's an entire process to take it off so you don't contaminate yourself by, you know, touching the other glove with your other hand. That's why they were telling people not to wear gloves because most people were taking them off improperly. And if it did, you know, spread on surfaces, which now we know that that you never had to wipe down your mail, but okay. But you can do more harm than good with people who don't know what they're doing when you, when you give them that sense of security in a hazmat suit. So sounds good, but I don't think it was very practical in, um, in practice. More of your calls coming up. 866-408-7669. Would you accept an invitation uh, to a soiree? where you must provide proof of vaccination before you will be allowed to enter. Uh, And do you know anyone who's like this who just can't give up the mask because it's just been their identity for the last year, 13 months or so? I'm Mary Walter. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Both sides, all opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. We're the National Institutes of Health. We're the largest supporter of medical research in the world. We knew that bat-driven coronaviruses had caused already two major scares as far as the pandemic, SARS and MERS. It would have been irresponsible for us not to try to understand what else might be lurking out there. But I categorically deny that NIH, in its grant funding and a subcontract, Uh, to the Wuhan Institute of Virology was permitted to do anything that would have created a virus that would have been increased in its transmissibility or its virulence for humans. I categorically deny that. That was Dr. Francis Collins on with Martha McCallum yesterday saying, no, that gain of function research, no, 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 not happening. Since the Chinese are oh so open, how do we know? I mean, how do you know? We don't. And that's the problem because we were funding that institute. And we now know from the, uh, the FOIA emails that Dr. Fauci was very curious about the U.S.'s role in uh, coronavirus testing and research, quote unquote, abroad in his emails. Um, so and, and we, we there's there's some connections now. We'll never find out from the Chinese, but I think if we keep digging, we may get some answers. Uh, Hopefully, we'll get some answers. 866-408-7669. Just talking about, you know, how people have just been so, I I just think, frightened and scared, and and they thought that the virus was under their bed. And and in in the beginning, listen, I took all the precautions the whole bit, but then as time went on, I, I absolutely admit I got lax. We had... I can say it now. Uh, we had f- get-togethers over, you know, last summer. Even in April, we got together with the neighbors. We all took the chance and said, oh, it was just our neighbors directly behind us one set. And we said, oh, we're going to take the chance. What the heck? And we stayed a little distant from each other. We weren't up in each other's grills. We didn't hug or anything like that. But we felt we had to go to live our lives. And so we did. But there are some people that I don't think will ever live their life again. Let's go to Florida. Rick, you are on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hi. Hi, Mary. I just wanted to say thank you for spreading the truth and trying to teach common sense to these brainwashed sheep that believe the sky is still falling. Quick background, <laughs> I loathe and abhor the mask. 
I am not getting vaccinated. I take my vitamin D and C every morning for my immune system, and I just keep everything clean. But I have a question for you. I travel for a living. I'm all over the country. I, obviously, you have to eat, so I go to a lot of fast food restaurants. Why is it that McDonald's has yet to open most of their dining rooms and or even allow you to walk in for carryout? Are they run by the left, or is there somebody that has told them to stay shut but everybody else is open? You know, I, I, I can't speak to that because I cannot tell you the last time I ate in a fast food restaurant. It had to be a good probably 20 years ago. So I, I can't answer that question. So I don't know what their their status is in in other parts of the country, if that's just Florida. Is it because they don't have enough help? There are quite a few restaurants that are shuttered because they can't get enough help because the people are still being paid to sit on the behinds and not work. Agreed. This is nationwide, though. In Florida, they're not open. They're not open in any state. But all the other ones are, obviously, with limited fare and or limited schedule because of work. But McDonald's is not open for the most part in dining room. I'm just curious if maybe that was controlled. Yeah, I I, I don't know. I can't answer that question. But this could be a sign that God is telling you to stop eating like an eight-year-old. And, <laughs> and improve your diet a little bit. I'm only kidding with you. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just messing with you. Um, I don't know the answer to that one at all. And I don't know, maybe, maybe, I don't know. I don't know how you would find out the answer to that, but I haven't read anything along those lines uh, at all. But thank you so much, Rick. I appreciate the laugh too. Uh, Tony on WABC listening in New Jersey. Hey, Tony, you're on the Brian Kilmeade show. Hi. Uh, Hi, Mary. I love you guys. I really do. And I know through your modest uh, persona uh, that I, I, I mean, for me, I would have to say that you're the female version of Rush, um, and, and, and that's, that's kudos for you, really. Thank you. Um, and, and on the subject, I would definitely not go into uh, any parties or anything like that if they required me to wear a mask. I didn't get vaccinated. Again, I'm not getting vaccinated. Um, I, I'm just going to wait until everything just fizzles out. And on another subject, and I'm not sure, and I can't say this for a quote, but I think I heard something on, on Bernie and Sid show uh, one day this week, and they actually had Fauci. And I, like I said, I can't quote this, but it, it was definitely him talking. And he had said something back in 2017 that um, that the uh, that the Trump administration was going to see a pandemic. Uh, the likes have never been seen before, and I was just wondering if if you had heard anything about that too, because, I mean, that was 2017, yeah, and that was before Trump, and I mean, how would he know this unless there was some kind of inside stuff going on? And for me, two things were needed for Biden to become president: the pandemic and mail-in voting. And I just have this really crazy, funny feeling. And I mean, maybe I'm a conspiracy theorist, but it, it just doesn't make sense that those two things were needed for Biden to become president. So I, I think the politicization of the virus was needed. So, and listen, Tony, I love a good conspiracy theory as much as the next guy. And my, my, my tinfoil hat is always polished, ready to go. But I had seen that, that he had said, you know, there's going to be a pandemic. But here's, here's the thing about that. Um, I, I think when, you're, when you look at viruses and that's your life and, and you, you deal with virology and all of that, 
you probably know what's happening around the world and some of the things that are that are being looked at and maybe viruses that are being manipulated, maybe not in this country, but by China or otherwise. So I don't view that as some kind of a conspiracy thing at all. I think that may have just been a, hey, you know what? It's going to happen. You know, it, you can look at certain things and say, you know what? X is going to happen. There's going to be a problem. And and I think maybe that is exactly what happened here. I so I don't I don't go that far with it. I I don't take it to um to that level though. So, but thank you. Thank you so much, Tony. Um Peter, I cannot see the call screen because I can only see you. But, you know what? That's okay. Cuz we're out of time. This went so fast. But thank you so much for joining me. Uh, I enjoyed it. Brian, back with you. Uh, I'm Mary Walter. Have a fantabulous weekend. The Fox News Rundown, a contrast of perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. Your daily dose of news twice a day. Featuring insight from top newsmakers, reporters, and Fox News contributors. Listen and subscribe now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.